You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. I had to shovel a ham sandwich inside of my mouth here before we sat down at the bar to talk well, for this did you episode. Have to use a shovel? How big was this ham sandwich? Well, it just was like one of those things where I looked in the mirror and I felt shame. And I was like, you need to eat real food. Because ever since last night, I've just been eating cookies. Christmas cookie night will do that to you. My 18-year-old daughter did the cookie thing. Like all the Christmas cookies yesterday. She had finished her finals over at Mother Macaulay. She's a senior. And she's you know now the lady of the house here. And she went out and was like a cookie-baking machine. And not just cookies, confections. I'm talking the uh, the white chocolate-covered pretzels. You know, some kind of weird mm, oh thing. Yeah. That's got like a, like cherries inside of it and like cream that's inside of like a, a chocolate uh, uh, like ball. I mean, like, like she's making all these things all day long. And the other two, they get back there, the boys, and they're helping. And I've been eating cookies ever since, man. I've been eating what I believe are the best chocolate chip cookies. I don't know what she's doing in there, but I, I've never had cookies like this in my house. So you, to, to balance it out, to balance all these cookies out, you're like, let me find some salty pig and throw it in my gullet with some cheese and bread on it. Right, exactly. That felt healthy based upon yeah. the amount of sugar that I have eaten since last night for dinner. A little bit of a snack while I was watching TV. This morning I got up, made myself a cup of tea, and I was like, ah, I don't want to mess up the kitchen. I'll just eat some cookies. Like... <laughs> Right, perfect. And cookies go great with tea, right? right? I mean, you know, the British got some stuff right. I'm going to be so fat by the time of the holiday season is over because of all the, the stuff that she made. Hey, I, I went to the doctor yesterday and she's like, you know, you're actually down like uh, five or six pounds yeah, from where you back. were. That's coming back. And, and I looked at her and I said, yeah, but for how long? She goes, oh, I, I give you about 48 hours. Yeah, because this is it. This is where everybody puts on weight over the next week or so. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everybody in the world puts on weight over the next week or so. Everybody. And, and, and let me tell you something, young men that are out there. I know we have younger listeners. Watch out. Watch out for Audrey Lanuti out there. She bakes. She cooks. She's beautiful. She was an Illinois State Scholar announced this uh, this week. She's been accepted to every university she's applied to with massive scholarships. I think she's earned almost $400,000 in scholarship money so far. Gentlemen, gentlemen, you have no chance. You're going to have to you're going to have to to provide an awful lot of references in your application. Even hang out with my daughter. She's out of your league. Okay, watch out for her world. Okay, and and she won our fantasy baseball championship uh, over a bunch of old men last year. <laughs> so she knows uh, baseball. She, yeah, like she, that's true. <laughs> and she crushed. And I looked at her dynasty team just the other day, and I was like, she's gonna win again. She, she's so good at what she does. Watch out for her world. Just just watch out for her. Uh, anyway, uh, watch out for Dylan Cease back on the trade market. It's gonna heat up with uh, Yamamoto signing with the Dodgers. And, and yeah, what which, I notice is every oh Yankee gosh. fan with a Twitter account is already penciling him in because Yankee fans believe they can get anything they want until somebody uh, signs them away, like the Dodgers signed Yamamoto away. But they, that's what they're, they're all leaning towards that, and that's good. I want to see that kind of competition, although I'll be honest with you, I would have preferred the Yankees signing Yamamoto because it would have kept the Orioles even more interested in Dylan Cease to keep up and the Dodgers would have turned their attention to Cease as well. And the, and the Dodgers and the Orioles, probably the two best systems that I can see, at least at a glance, that I would like to pick from for, for trading away a Dylan Cease with his two years of control. Yeah, and that becomes a problem really with the Yankees. And, and you know, it, we're going to start, you're right, it's going to start heating up. 
But one of the things that's going to start heating up is every team is going to be matched up with the White Sox. And, and here's, the, here's the prospects that they should get. And Yankees fans are great about this because they will absolutely sell you just an, a dead corpse of a, of a human being and call it like a top prospect because like, they, they believe that their team can do no wrong. Clint so, Frazier was like the best player yes. available last year until they waived him because nobody wanted him. They will always right. do that. They are, they are the used car salesman in the Muppet movie. That's what they are. Right. They're, they're trying to sell you a Studebaker and they're telling you that it's the best car on the lot. Which, nothing against Studebakers back in their day, but the problem is a Studebaker in 2023 is not the best car in the lot in all likelihood. It's the same thing like with Anthony Volpe, right? Remember, he was coming up, the next Derek Jeter, this guy was going to take everybody by storm, and he wasn't even close to being the best rookie shortstop around. That I mean, not even not even in the conversation to the point where who knows if he's, if he's even going to start this year for the Yankees because he was so bad. Can't even light a Christmas tree. Only half of it lit up when he hit the button. Well, that's about right, you know. <laughs> Disappointing all around. This episode of Socks in the Basement brought to you proudly by Cork and Carry at the Park. Uh, if you need a ham sandwich, uh, get it out of your fridge. But if you want something even better than that, two-for-one burgers on Tuesdays. Uh, get away from the cookies. Get yourself uh, some good food over there at 33rd in Princeton. And, and of course, check out the vast array of spirits, wines, craft beers there, and, and all the holiday happenings. And do not forget about their location in Beverly, uh, one of the places I like to pop into, especially during the holiday season, the way that they they do it up there at 106th and Western Avenue. See everything they have going on. Make plans to be there all throughout the 2024 season. See more at CorkandCarry.com. But yeah, I think I think the Dylan Cease market heats up now. John Heyman, I believe, was on the score just within the last 24 hours talking about the market that's been set now would tell you that a team would have to give up four of their top 10 prospects to get a Dylan Cease. And when you look at guys like Corbin Burns that may be sitting out there on the market, you're getting more than one year of control with Dylan Cease. And you look at the price that that teams have to pay for free agent starting pitching, like if they want to go after a Jordan Montgomery, getting Dylan Cease at the price that he's at, if you're a team that has what the White Sox want, and those players are not essential to you making your run this year, you have to start considering whether or not you want Dylan Cease for the next two years and, and giving up those guys. I think Chris Getz's phone has got to be ringing today. Oh, I would think so. And I think there's a lot of teams that are sitting there looking at what is Major League ready. Because remember, the White Sox are one of the teams, the few teams in the league that never have a redundancy when it comes to prospects, right? We never have a lot of depth where we're sitting there going, you know, oh, we got this guy, he's our top prospect, but he's blocked at the Major Leagues. Or we've got, you know, three or four of these guys are all really good. Any one of them could start for us. And, and you know, this is the guy that's already here. So we're going to go with this guy. But these two guys pick from one of them where they're all quality players. There's there's a lot of farm systems that are like that. The Orioles are like that right now, right? The Yankees think that they're like that every year, but they really aren't. So we can steer away from them. But the Dodgers, to your point, there's a bit of a loss there because they do tend to have some of that redundancy, right? So Getz is probably going to be able to get the pick of what he wants. And I think it's also important to note though, that it's not necessarily just that a team has to have four of their 10 top prospects ready to be packaged off to Dylan for Dylan Cease. It can't be four guys that are, are these lottery tickets that are an a ball, right? It's, it's it maybe one of those, but it's going to be guys who, who do they have? That's close. 
Who do they have that's a real thing? And I think that's also what Chris Getz is looking for based on what he said. He's not doing this where you're going to have four guys come back who aren't going to be here until 2030 at, at the earliest or something like that, where they've got years to try and develop and figure them out. We're talking about somebody who's going to be joining Colson Montgomery next year in the starting lineup, somebody who is maybe going to make their debut in the rotation at the end of the 24 season. It's somebody who is maybe going to come up and spend some time in the bullpen to get used to being the, in the major leagues and or somebody who is already on a major league roster who is just young and has control that a team is willing to move on from because they have extra players there. So thinking about the Orioles, somebody like Heston Kirstead, who is in their mix for an outfield spot, but is not necessarily guaranteed one because they have other options there, or they have a bunch of infielders or like the Reds had a bunch of infielders that, that are up in the major leagues that they're trying to figure out what to do with. So Getz's phone is not only ringing, but now's the time where he gets to sit there and go, I like you. I like you. I like you. You're no good. I like you. And he gets to feel like, you know, Chris Lanuti in a college bar when he was 21 years old. Oh, look at you pumping me up today. It is the Merry holiday Christmas. season. Merry Christmas, Chris. I'm I'm giving you an ego boost. Look at that. Like, I, you just throwing it out there. I was kind of a player when I was in college. I need that. My ego needs a boost these days. You know, 46, I look old. I'm single. I mean, I, I need that boost. I appreciate it, my friend. I, you know, I also I also think that when you you look at the the move of Dylan Cease, you have to keep in mind that even moving him, you're still adding starting pitching. You move Dylan Cease and you grab what you can for him because you know in two years you're not going to be able to get him because he's a Boris client. But you acquire pieces that can help you now that are really a part of your team in 2025, and then you go out and you sign pitchers, like we talked about Sean Manaya and a couple other pitchers on a recent episode, guys that are going to fall within your price range that are going to kind of filter out when this is all over, that aren't looking for a one-year prove-it deal, and also aren't going to break the bank and go outside of what Jerry Reinsdorf is willing to do. Those are your targets as well. If you're a small business owner, you may be targeting adding insurance to your company. Uh, let's say you've got a bunch of employees and you've never given them health insurance before. You're making them go on the open market. And then they go and they find another job because they want to find a place that gives them health insurance. It's not as hard as you think it is to add that into your business. And if you're getting your own insurance personally, you still want to call Butch Zimar. You want to talk about the options. This is what this guy does. That's what he makes his living doing, reducing that cost and helping you through it. Open enrollment coming to a close, but you got to work on this year round. Give him a call. Talk to him about all the things that are possible for you, your company, whatever your situation. 708-535-3006 or look at EliteBenefits.net. That music means the Sox nerd Dave Marin is joining us once again. He is brought to you by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history? Great eats and drinks in green spaces filled with adventure. Visit the Village of Lamont. Shop, dine, drink, explore, and check out all the quaint little shops if you want to go and, and use some of that Christmas money. See more at lamontdowntown.com. Nerd, we had a question from Mario last week about the movie uh, A Christmas Story. And the fact that the White Sox are mentioned by the old man, the dad, at the uh, dinner table, and, and a trait of a guy by the name of Bullfrog. How are you? 
Fantastic, sir. And yes, a White Sox trade is mentioned in the iconic 1983 movie, A Christmas Story, which is set basically in Hammond, Indiana, in the heart of White Sox country. This should come as no surprise because Gene Shepard, the creator of A Christmas Story, was a Sox fan. In fact, he was such a huge fan, he narrated the franchise's first historical video, Chicago White Sox, A Visual History, in 1987. Part of the video featured Shepard decked out in a Sox cap and Sox starter jacket at second base at Comiskey Park, flowing about Nellie Fox, his all-time favorite player. Fox, believe it or not, was born on Christmas Day, 1927. In the movie, the Sox make a cameo when the dad, played by Darren McGavin, muttered while reading the newspaper that the team had traded Bullfrog. Bullfrog was the nickname of one-time White Sox pitcher Bill Dietrich. The bespectacled righty was the poster boy for the Sox of the Christmas Story era, which was the mediocre and sometimes dreary 1930s and 40s. A modern-day comp for old Bullfrog? How about Gavin Floyd or John Danks? And that might be stretching it a little bit. The Philadelphia native was 80 and 91 with a 4.23 ERA and 366 games for the Sox from 1936 to 1946. The highlight of his Sox life, other than the movie mentioned, came June 1st, 1937, when he no-hit the Browns in the Sox 8 to nothing win before an estimated crowd of 1,500 at Comiskey Park. Diedrich walked two and struck out five in the 10th no-no in club history. This was Philip Umber level of a surprising no-hitter. In addition to being, quote, just a guy, two days prior to this gem, Dietrich was pummeled for 10 runs on nine hits in three and a third innings in losing the nightcap of a doubleheader in Cleveland. All of that is true. What isn't true was the trade. Shepard in the movie took a little poetic license because Dietrich was never traded by the Sox. He was claimed off waivers from Washington on July 20th, 1936, and was released by the Sox on September 18, 1946. As for Four-Eyes Schottenhooper, the other Sox player that Dad mentioned, he doesn't exist. There is no player in big league history, or minor league history for that matter, with that name. There is an entry for this player on the Baseball Reference bio page, but it is only to tell us that Four-Eyes is a product of Shepard's imagination. Before I get to my zinger, I remind you that gems like these and long-form pieces are on my blog, which you can link to at SoxInTheBasement.com. How about a few Yuletide zingers? In addition to Fox, those with Sox ties born on Christmas Day are Tom O'Malley, one-time third base coach Wallace Johnson, Jack Hamilton, Gene Lamont, and Ben Chapman. The only player in Major League history with the last name Christmas played 12 of his 24 big league games with the 1984 Sox. Catcher Steve Christmas hit 364 with a double, a clutch home run, and four RBIs in his time with the White Sox. The Sox' first Christmas Day transaction came in 1984 when they signed free agent outfielder Mark Gilbert. Gilbert went on to bigger and better things, later serving as the U.S. ambassador to New Zealand. That's it, Chris. Probably more than you wanted to know about Bullfrog, Four Eyes, Christmas, and New Zealand. Merry Christmas, my friend. Merry Christmas to you and yours, and everyone have a great New Year. What's your favorite Christmas movie this time of year? Okay, and don't go with Die Hard. Die Hard is no, like what everybody no, no, does no, no. just so they can laugh that it's a Christmas movie and everything. And I'll watch it at some point. I get a kick out of it. I, I I have found some newer ones that the kids like have found in recent years. Like my youngest guy who's eight years old has introduced me to some new Christmas movies. Like I love the Klaus movie or Klaus or whatever. It is. Like it's a it's like a movie that you can find on Netflix about this guy 
you know, it was, it was all alone, and it's like the origin of Santa Claus. It's a really cool little cartoon I would have never found if I still didn't have a little kid that I think is awesome. On the other hand, I don't like the most recent Grinch. Like, my kid's all into that one with Benedict Cumberbatch, yeah. and I showed him the original, and he watched the original and was like, this Grinch is creepy. I'm like, yes, the Grinch is supposed to be creepy and mean and devilish. Like, that's what he's supposed to be, slinking and slithering into your home to steal your stuff. He's not supposed to be comedy relief. So, I mean, like, like, so I'm up and down on the new ones. What's your favorite one? See, I, Christmas Vacation is always a classic in my mind. And I will tell you for the the sort of, you don't expect it to really be a Christmas story, but go back and watch the first Lethal Weapon. That is a lovely Christmas story about a guy finding a family <laughs> at Christmas time. It is. really is. is. It really is. It's a wonderful Christmas story. It's, it's a terrific Christmas story about, about Mel Gibson. I'm always going to be a white Christmas guy. I'm always going to. Oh, yeah, well, okay, yeah. If always going to go be my thing. There. I've always loved White Christmas. I've always loved the singing. I've always loved the Haynes sisters. Okay, even as a little boy, like that. That was like my. That was one of my first images of beautiful women that could sing and dance. Like I, I have always loved that movie. I will watch. It holds that. up. It really does hold yeah, up. Till, yeah, you know? I, I will watch that movie twice, maybe three times during the holiday season. I really do enjoy White Christmas. Now let's talk about the Dodgers. Who are ruining baseball, according yeah, to some they're, people. They're, speaking of Grinches, let's yeah. talk about the Dodgers. Well, yeah, they're ruining baseball, according to some people. And I don't believe that at all. Because first but, off... Uh, but you know what? Every time a team spends... I'm sorry, but historically, every time a team spends, they're ruining baseball, right? Every time somebody does something like this, where they spend a bunch of money in one offseason, they're ruining baseball. It was the Yankees once upon a time. It's been the Mets. Now it's the Dodgers. But I don't know. I don't think they're ruining anything. I think they're just flexing their financial muscle. But it's three guys. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win anything with those three guys. Right, exactly. What, their their last championship was the shortened season. I don't even know if you get full credit for that. Like, like I mean, like, they don't, they're, it's not like they're out there like the late 90s Yankees just winning every year, right? And nobody has an opportunity to beat them where you feel like everybody, including the broadcasters, are are on their side. And, right. and you've got no chance. They're not, they're not that team. Plus, even with these signings, I don't believe they're anywhere close to the top of the current payrolls of other teams in Major League Baseball. Like if I look at Spotrac right now, they're ranked ninth. Now they haven't added in Yamamoto yet, who's who's spread out over twelve years, and they're only giving two million dollars credit to Otani because of the deferrals. But even if I add that into the $150 million on their payroll, even though that's not what they're paying this year, they're not spending that much this year on it. Even if I add that into their payroll, I don't believe that they outspend the Mets at this current moment, or they're right there with them and the Phillies right up at the top of the list. When you look at them last year, what the Dodgers went out and did, the Dodgers weren't sitting at the very top of Major League Baseball. Again, it was the Mets. In fact, the Mets and the Yankees won two, two major market teams right up at the top. And then Los Angeles is a major market, right? That's like the second biggest market there is. In, in It's the big, second biggest radio market. So it's got to be the second biggest baseball market. They're sitting at the sixth highest payroll in 2023. And the Angels are in the eighth highest payroll. The Rangers, I mean, that's Dallas, basically. They're fourth highest payroll. The Padres kind of spent above what they normally do. They were considered a small market team up until they ended up with the third highest payroll. Well, that, that's because their owner knew he wasn't long for this earth, unfortunately, and wanted to try and buy a championship before he, he left. Yeah, and, and you you love the fact that he tried to do it. And, and the Philadelphia Phillies sitting fifth, that's a pretty big market there. The Astros sitting seventh, that's a big market. And, and the Blue Jays, Toronto and Atlanta, uh, those two nine and ten. The Cubs at eleven are really low last year. Now they weren't trying but to win. But the Cubs are also the Cubs weren't trying to win. Right, they weren't trying to win, but they're they're really low. Okay, fine. 
those are all the big market teams, essentially. Like, you could make arguments back and forth, back and forth as to whether or not Boston's really a big market. If you've gone to Boston, you realize it's not that big of a town compared to where you live right here in Chicago. Okay, but I mean, maybe because of the television and how it sprawls out, fine, you want to call them a major market, but they're sitting above the White Sox. San Francisco's sitting above the White Sox. It's a major metropolis area. All right. The White Sox are nowhere to be seen in those payroll rankings last year. And, and that's, that's where I think White Sox fans have a problem. I don't expect the White Sox to be number one. I expect them to be like what they were in 2022 when they were the seventh highest payroll in baseball. I think the biggest issue that the Sox have is that White Sox fans don't show up unless you're good. So if you're going to spend the money, you have to spend the money smartly. If they would have spent that money coming in seventh overall in 2022 and hired the correct manager the last time around that they had to hire one, and it wasn't LaRusa sitting in there falling asleep in the dugout that year, and they wouldn't have invested way too much money in a bullpen, and they would have gone out and addressed needs that they had had for years like right field and second base, and they would have they would have properly constructed their team. Sox fans would have shown up for that team. That team would have been in the playoffs, and I think that their payroll still stays in the top 10. It may even increase the next year because of the amount of people that show up. So I think the pro- you have a twofold problem here. You have an owner that won't spend unless he sees the fans show up or he gets convinced that they will show up. And then you have a fan base that won't show up unless the team is good. Now, I don't call the second part a problem. I think that's called fandom. I don't think you should be showing up for a team and rooting for them when they well, suck. And here's why. Because Jerry would absolutely, if we showed up and the team was terrible... Yeah, he would he would lower the payroll. He, he, he yeah, he would 100% he'd never spend a dime cuz right. he'd sit there and go, "We got him. We right. got him now." You know, he he would he would turn the White Sox into the 1980s Cubs, which is what I think he really wanted all along. Yeah, I think that's what he would love to have. Hailstorm Brewing Company is the official brewery of Sox in the basement. They have a scratch kitchen open at 11 a.m. for lunch on Tuesday through Sunday, and they've got incredible food to go along with their incredible beer. In fact, I am making it a point to get out there next week during the holiday week. I'm still doing Socks in the Basement. Regular schedule for us, but a lot of things on the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. Take a break during this time period here at the end of the year to kind of regroup and get ready for the next year. And also give me an opportunity to try out some of the really cool beers at some of the breweries right now. This is one of the best times of the year. I'm getting that Lumberjack Breakfast Imperial Milk Stout when I get out there. I'm going to try their Barrel Aged Imperial Brown Ale. I'm getting Vlad versus Zombie versus Shark. And then I'm getting Uber home because it's 18%. Maybe we'll bump into each other. If we do, I'll buy a beer at Hailstorm. 8060 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue. See more at Hailstorm Brewing. The the Chicago White Sox currently going into the 2024 season are 19th in Major League Baseball with $100 million on the books. It should be a lot higher, folks. It really should. And if it's not, you have every right to be angry. I don't care if it's a competitive year or not. You have plenty of room to start adding players that you're going to use in 25 and 26 because you, you you can afford it this year. And then the other problem is this. If that payroll isn't back up in the top 10 for 2025, I don't want to hear from you, Chicago White Sox. I really don't. Because you cannot compete. You cannot compete on a regular basis being a middling, mid-market, low-market payroll type team. And being in the city of Chicago with a fan base as rabid as this one, you remember what they look like in the only playoff game that mattered in the last 10 years. When Larry Garcia caught lightning in a bottle, that game three against the Houston Astros, the towels waving, the screaming, the yelling, the release. That's the loudest I've heard a stadium maybe ever 
And I was at game one of the World Series. I was at the 2008 blackout game. All right. And that place was rocking. That's the fan base that you have. That fan base wants to be there, but you have to put something on the field to get them to come. And so it really comes down to competent ownership because the owner has to be willing to spend and the owner then has to put the right people in place and hold them accountable so that they spend the money correctly. And if that happens, you could be just like the Dodgers. And I was trying to make that point on social media here over the last 24 hours. The Sox could be just like the Dodgers. You could you could develop players in your minor league system. You don't need to have high draft picks to do what they're doing. That's all development. That's all no, scouting. It, 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 in, in fact, I there was an article during the season about how the Dodgers AA affiliate has made their name by taking guys, cast-offs from other teams, guys that they drafted that had a, a flaw, okay, had some arm talent but had a flaw. All the, the, the guys that you picked up, that the White Sox picked up from the Dodgers – are two of those guys that what the Dodgers did is they looked at him and said, you would be better off if you had this. You would be better off if you changed your mechanics this way. And that's all they do. They take flawed guys that are not high-end draft picks and they turn them into legitimate pitching prospects. And, and you can do that if you're the White Sox, if you have the staff, if you have the scouting, if you have the infrastructure in place to do it. And maybe that's what Brian Bannister's here to do, right? Is to try and make that happen. But so far, they haven't done that because really, getting back to my initial point, the Dodgers made three big moves this offseason, right? Otani, Glasnow, Yamamoto, okay? And the White Sox have done that in the past. We're, we're, you know, think back to before the 2020 season when they bring in Grandal and they bring in Dallas Keuchel. Um, right after that, you know, the year after that, they bring in Liam Hendricks, right? So they, they've done it before. They've made big moves before, big, decent, big money moves before. But they got to do it right because part of the problem with that, for example, Grandall, eh, arguably worth the money at the time. Dallas Keuchel certainly wasn't, though, right? And there's a situation where if they had spent better, you have a starting pitcher that's going to carry over instead of a guy who self-proclaims that he's the best pitcher in baseball and then ends up flaming out of like three other teams before it's all said and done over the past couple of years. And again, that goes back to incompetence in the front office. Sure, you missed out on right. Zach Wheeler because his fiance wanted to go to Philadelphia, but your backup plan uh, was to give more money and more years than you should to should give to a guy that was on the decline. And so it, it was it was poor decision making by the front office. And again, that goes back to competent ownership, a competent owner, because here's the thing. The, the Dodgers in 2023 ranked sixth overall in Major League Baseball. The Sox in 2022 were ranked seventh overall in Major League Baseball. The Dodgers right now technically are right around in that same range right now. There's no big difference if you just take into account inflation and the way that the rest of the sport is moving in terms of how much they're spending, if you just look at rankings, there is no big difference in what the Sox are capable of doing, what the Dodgers do on a consistent basis. The difference is that the Dodgers win. The Dodgers have an angry fan base. I know Dodger fans. I lived out there. 20 years ago, I lived out there, and I, I went to Dodger games. It's a crappy ballpark with terrible food. A Dodger dog is the most disgusting hot dog you'll ever put in your mouth. It's gross. All right. They charge way too much money for it. They charge too much for beer. They segregate their fans just like uh, like Jerry Reinsdorf does, because Chavez Ravine being a natural ravine, you can't move about the ballpark from section to section. You have to enter in a certain section and then just kind of stay there because it's a natural boundary. Jerry Reinsdorf basically just kind of created that by making you have to check your ticket 17 he, he times. He created unnatural boundaries. Right. Yeah, he just... But there are a lot of similarities 
between the, the experience of going to a Dodger game and the experience of going to a White Sox game. And in fact, the Sox have better food and better amenities. And it, both of them are a mess to get in out of the ballpark and everything like that. I mean, and, and they both had the capability of spending money. The difference is one team develops, holds people accountable within the organization, and their fans show up because they win. And if they lose, their fans get angry. Look at these Dodger fans. They complain more than anybody I've ever seen on Twitter. You go go find a Dodger strand. They're angry that they haven't gotten more. And they basically have gotten everybody in the offseason. They're still angry about it. They're just an angry little fan base. The only difference is the fact that their team wins. Their team puts a competitor out every single year. If the Sox did that, they could spend at that level as well because their fan base would show up. That's, I mean, it is it, simple, simple economics, okay? Supply and demand. Go, go spend the money on something that makes people want to come out to the ballpark. They'll arrive. And this fan base would run right to you. They would forget every bad thing you did if you had a good team on the field, that ballpark would be packed night in and night out, and it would be the place to be in the city of there Chicago. Would be, there would be keep the team Jerry banners all over the place. Exactly. Exactly. Instead of the fact that I'm walking around trying to find stickers I can put over his face on all the World Series pictures down here at the bar because I don't even want to look at him. I want to cover Kenny's face. I want to cover his face. Luckily, Rick's not in any of the pictures. They keep trying to say he was around, but I don't see him in any of the pictures, even at the parade. So I don't know how around he was. Anyway, uh, you have... Uh, a feature that you normally used to put in the old uh, blog, but we haven't done the blog in a long time. Yeah, we we're lazy. we we kind of kind of stopped blogging because <laughs> I don't know how much people are paying attention. But every year I did a twas the night before Christmas about the White Sox. Okay, and so I, I thought we'd just do a little reading. Imagine, imagine yourself sitting next to a fireplace if you're not already. Imagine me sitting next to the fireplace with you, which you may not want to. And pull up a nice cup of eggnog and get into the Christmas cheer. I just imagine you in a robe, and it's disturbing me. Go ahead. That's smoking jacket. <laughs> smoking <Classic>. jacket? <laughs> Why it's on fire, I have no idea. <laughs> right. An extra long smoking jacket, but with right. bare legs. And you're just not sure if there's anything underneath the smoking jacket. Well, some mysteries are left better unsolved. Twas the night before Christmas, when on the south side, not a creature was stirring. Chris gets his time, he would bide. The 40-man roster was looking threadbare, in hopes that new players soon would be there. The Sox fans were nestled all snug in their anger, with visions of pitchers and a right-field banger. But Mama in her lingerie and I and my chaps had just settled our brains that the hot stove's on nap. Hoping that there would arise such a clatter of a trade or a signing that would actually matter, away to the internet I flew like a flash and tore open the Twitters or X or whatever they call it, who hash. Shohei Otani and Tyler Glasnow gave the luster of movement to the hot stove below, but nothing to my wondering eyes did appear because Dylan Steese was still freaking here. With little Chris Getz, so wily and shrewd, waiting and waiting to get the right dudes. More rapid than Eagles, the rumors they came. Trade partners were shouted and called out by name. The Orioles, now Yankees, now Braves are the closers. On Reds, on Mets, on Yamamoto losers. To the top of their prospects, to trade for them all. Now trade away, trade away, cease and all. As dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So up to the top of the news should cease go. With Eloy and Vaughn and anyone, yo. And then in a twinkling, I heard on a pod the guessing and gnashing of each little clod. 
So I drew in my head a trade turning around the White Sox for next year to be playoff bound. I made half-ass trades all up in my brain, less likely to come true than bourbon rain. A bundle of players Chris Getz should get back, but would they be players or just end up whack? Ah, Getz. Glad he waited, his strategy. How merry. Good cards that he's holding in spite of Jerry. So it is up to our GM to wrap a trade in a bow and deliver us talent as pure as the snow, but what if he's overestimated his play and can't get anything for Cease any day? Could he trade Aloy or maybe even Vaughn? Because no one would care if those two are gone. Do I trust in Chris Getz, a right jolly old elf? Or laugh through my tears in spite of myself? Well, with a wink of his eye and a twist of his head, soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and called all the GMs, even if they were a jerk. And laying his finger aside of his nose and giving a nod up the hot stove he rose. He sprang to his phone, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim, ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, I'll trade Dylan some night. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.